This is the Good Fire Podcast. Stories of Indigenous fire stewardship, cultural empowerment, and environmental integrity. Hey everybody, welcome to Good Fire. My name is Matthew Kristoff. And I'm Amy Cardinal Christensen, and we're here to share stories of Indigenous fire stewardship. So over the next few episodes, we're going to be talking with Indigenous researchers and Indigenous fire practitioners about what they're doing and how they're trying to get Indigenous burning back on the land. So this podcast is sponsored by the Canadian Partnership for Wildland Fire Science with support from the California Indian Water Commission and the Fire Sticks Alliance Indigenous Corporation. On this episode, um, we're going to talk to Tim Canoa and Trent Nelson, who are Indigenous men who both work for the state of Victoria. We discuss strides in Indigenous fire management and how we can start to incorporate the Australian model elsewhere in the world. So for this one, we're actually going to jump straight into the conversation where Trent and Tim were talking about the Australian Indigenous people's flag. And we just thought it set a good tone for the conversation. And about five minutes in, we're going to get into talking about cultural burning. Here we go. Our nation's flag. Um, so we've got the predominant Australian flag, but under that, um, you know, We've got the Aboriginal flag as our people, but um, so it's it's black and red, and then in the middle is a yellow circle, yellow dot. Mm. Um, so the black represents the people, um, the red represents Mother Earth and and um, and the blood, and then the sun, the yellows represents the sun, giving us life and giving us um, yeah. yeah dreaming. Mm. And yeah, it was created. Cool all awesome. The Go flag ahead. was created back in what nineteen seventy five, I think it was, Trent. I think so, yeah. By um, Thomas Harold, an Aboriginal fella from Queensland, and uh, it was about our identity on a national scale, and ultimately become the symbol that led a lot of our protests, marches, etc. When we took to the streets back in the seventies and eighties. And it's to the point now where, I mean, it's a symbol, right, for mm. our mob. It's the thing that we connect to collectively as a nation, mm. as a nation of Aboriginal mm. peoples. But uh, uh, it's also a political uh, issue too because we've had Olympians like Kathy Freeman who won mm. um, gold in the Olympics. She carried both the Aboriginal and Australian flags. She got criticised for it. We had a fellow by the name really? of Damien Hooper. Um, who's a boxer, he took the Aboriginal flag into the ring when he was at the Olympics. He got criticised for it. Um, and it's a political thing. You know, if people wear the Aboriginal flag, it seems as a political thing as, as opposed to something that is a, an identity for us, you know? Mm, exactly. Yeah, so they're, they're seeing it as like, you don't like Australia. Like you just want, yeah, it's like, a yeah, that's unfortunate that they see it that way. The cool thing, though, about yeah. the, your flag, I think, is that all your different mobs have come under it, like in Canada, like mm. with our nations. Mm. None of us can agree on anything like that. <laughs> no, <laughs> like that's still happening. Fight amongst each other. <laughs> Over here, we can't Does agree it? on stuff, yeah. but, but it's all good. At least we're, you know, we're, we agree on that flag. So, it's, yeah, at least you got a flag. Yeah. yeah. And, Colors too, a trend like a lot of yeah. people's wear the beads, yellow, black, and red. That's it. Mm. It's people, the, the flag color. Yeah. yeah, yeah, everywhere. You know, it's it's something too that I think I noticed. Like there was a long period of time where 
people weren't really wearing it proud like you know but now you know you, you go anywhere march you go the footy where it is and people are wearing it proud on their jumpers their hoodies their caps t-shirts kid little babies you know and That's it's just right. yes yeah, they're proud of it more now i reckon tim have you been playing your drum yeah i have good it's so good cool boy. yeah thank you yeah um, oh no problem my, at all. Um, it's in my room with all my artifacts and everything else that i have Oh, sweet. That's good. No, I just wanted to make sure that you weren't just like, you know, some people just will hang it on the wall and not no, touch it. it says you can't hang it. Played. I would never hang it. This thing is to be played. I go out yeah. here. I live on a, I live on an acreage out here. I go out and drum it hard and all the neighbours run off scared. You're <laughs> <laughs> so a big bonfire, but I... They think, what's going on here? I thought we were dealing with the original people. <laughs> They're all confused. <laughs> Isn't that over the other side of the seat? <laughs> Anyways, we should probably we'll get started. I was thinking about what you guys were saying about the flag, though. I might. Uh, we'll see. We'll yeah, see how we that fits in. We could probably squeak somewhere. that in there. It's been recording the whole time. So Trent, we'll go with you first if you want to introduce yourself. Yeah, no worries, Amy. Um, hello, everybody. So, um, yeah, my name's Trent Nelson. Um, uh, I'm a Yorta Yorta Jajarung man. Yorta Yorta on my grandmother's side and Jajarung on my grandfather's side. Um, based here in Victoria, uh, near central Victoria, which is a place called Bendigo. Um, and I work within the um, parks um, agency uh, doing land management but I'm also a chairperson at the um, Judge Run Clans Aboriginal Corporation as well. So, um, yeah, good to be here. Awesome. Sweet. And Tim? Yeah, uh, g'day everyone. My name's Tim Kanoa. I'm a, um, on my grandmother's side, I'm a Kerapmurra man of the Gwinnishmurra Nation, which is southwest Victoria, um, here in Victoria. And on my... On my grandfather's side, I'm Bunichawaja, which is up in um, West Arnhem Land at the top of Australia. Uh, my daytime job, uh, I work for the Department of Environment, Land, Water and Planning, uh, ultimately making sure that we get uh, both, well, traditional owners' rightful place in the business of that department, um, but also I'm on the board of uh, Gunish Marine, which is the corporation responsible for native title rights uh, down in Gunishmar country. Sweet. Well, thanks for coming on, you guys, with us today. Yeah, most exciting for sure. Yeah. So I think, I mean, when I met thanks you for guys, us. it was at that. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember we met at that conference in Missoula, the Fire Continuum yeah. Conference. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember when we were the only Indigenous people at the conference. So yeah, we became kind of fast friends with our interest in cultural burning. So, I mean, yeah. I wanted to have you guys on just because I know that you're both super passionate about this topic and super uh, involved in, in what burning basically means to, to you and your community. So, um, yeah, if we could just kick off, Trent, if you just want to talk a little bit about your mob and how um, you guys burn there mm. um, and, and, yeah, just kind of your mm. traditional practices around it. Yeah, um, thanks, Amy. Um, so I suppose... Um, first for it, um, I guess I've got to pay respect to our, our ancestors, our old people that, that um, you know, continued this custom on that we, we were talking about today, fire. Um, and for my mob, for Jadurung people, um, we call it Jandakwi, 
which means country fire. Um, so we recreated and, and um, brought fire back to our landscape about um, three years ago. Um, through that, um, I suppose it, it became, I suppose, always been a passion of myself growing up with my father. My father, um, he had that, that knowledge and that skill, um, didn't do it as much, but um, he, you know, showed me techniques and um, the things today that, that um, we've created and my cousin, uh, Mick Burke, he works as a burn planner in, in Delp that, that Tim works for. Um, so basically what we're doing in government, we're actually um, trying to set policy and procedure around traditional owners um, here in Victoria to burn on country. So for Jajarung people, um, we uh, basically we have areas out on country, we have joint management um, in our, our area with Parks Victoria. So that means we've got um, parcels of native title land that, that are in our title, Aboriginal title. Um, so they're areas that we can go out and we can burn. Um, but what we do, we actually um, go through the burn um, fire operations plan um, process basically. So we put our burns on the same as the prescribed fire burns, I guess you would call them. Um, they, they sit side by side, but one's um, cultural burn for us for whatever reason we want and um, and the other burns are just for normal fuel uh, management um, and asset protection. So for us, um, yeah, we've been doing it for three years now and um, what we started off with was two burns and we're up now to about 28 burns um, on those FOP plans. Sweet. So, yeah. So how long, you said you've been doing it for three years now. How long has it been since you were able to do that freely? Probably uh, 175 years. Um, that was when burning sort of stopped on this, on my grandfather's area. Um, that, yeah, they, they stopped burning. And that was based on colonialization, I suppose. Exactly right. So it was um, mm-hmm. in our area in central Victoria, we basically had, um, we were known central Victoria for the gold, the gold rush that happened in the late mm-hmm. 1700s. Um, so gold was a big um, impact on our people, driving our people off off their traditional lands, um, pushing them into settlements across Victoria. Um, but to the strive and the strength, I suppose, of my ancestors, um, you know, our people survive today and we're moving back on country and, and living on country and um, p- picking up those practices like that flame that the old people lo- um, left behind, you know, when they stopped burning and we're reigniting that flame and carrying it across our country again. So, Yeah, Trent, I just want to ask about, you know, lots of times when I'm working with people or agencies to bring fire back, they say, you know, like, oh, it's a, you know, a practice you guys did a long time ago and it's not applicable to today. So I'm just wondering, like, what your experience is with that, considering, you know, you hadn't used fire in 175 years. Did you run into that too? Oh, look, it, it's a common thing, I think, Amy. Um, we, we run across it every day with, with new people that um, have their own, I suppose, um, you know, agendas and, and, and their own opinions around fire management as a, as a land management tool. Um the fact is, is we, we actually have the proof out there when we burn, we can see the difference in the landscape, what happens. Um, for, you know, 170 
plus years, you know, our, our land, especially in our country here, it's it's been degraded. It's been turned over for mining. Um, we haven't had fire back in the landscape our way, so we haven't had cool burning techniques. Um, so what's happened is it's, it's thrown all of the ecosystem and everything, um, you know, off on a tangent that basically we're trying to bring back and slowly um, fix some of these areas and repair them back to what they, you know, they were. Um, we're, we're always getting that pushback from government um, and not so much, um, you know, it's generally the people on the ground that we get pushback from um, in certain roles. But that comes back to education as well. We just take them out, we educate them and we go, look, this is what our old people did and, and we can show them, we can prove, you know, it's all about the proof. Um we can actually show them on the ground what's happening on the ground with with what plants are coming back and microorganisms in the soil that are that are actually activating themselves. Um, so yeah. So it sounds like it's it's a similar situation to what happened at least here in Canada, from my understanding, is you know close to a couple centuries ago, Indigenous people weren't allowed to do their cultural burning practices, and as a result of that, in tandem with fire suppression we have a total changeover of, of kind of ecosystems from this mosaic of treed and plains landscape with shrub and all kinds of diversity and habitat and, and forest structure to something that is, at least now, like here in Alberta, here in Canada, we have just a carpet of trees everywhere now, right? So mm -hmm. it's, and it's changed the fire mosaic and it's changed the forest landscape. And it's, it's, it sounds like we're only just now, at least here, as a, like a Western culture trying to figure figure it out that that's not the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. So it sounds like it, you guys have a similar situation. Like it's have have you has have you seen a change in the in the forest structure because of the lack of indigenous burning that's been going on? Oh yeah, most definitely. It's um you know we, we've got more stems per hectare in certain areas. Um, we've got areas that basically it's affecting the wildlife and the vegetation. So we obviously, you know, kangaroos um, we have here is a native animal. They will only eat in certain areas when the, the grass is right and it's the right type of grass. They won't eat just because it's grass. Um, mm. So what happen, what, what's happening in the, in the landscape here is that we've got areas that, that basically used to be open grasslands for kangaroos to feed at certain times of the year. Um, what's happening is they're getting pushed out into residential areas because there's no food in those areas mm -hmm. and what's happening is causing uh, car accidents and, and, and high populations of kangaroos. So um, even our hunting practices as well come into fire. It's, it's not just about um, burning country, it's about hunting and, and the right time to hunt. And the only mm -hmm. way we can hunt in the right times is when that we know where the kangaroos and and the emus and actual wildlife are at certain times of the year. Um, and that's that basically, when that's not there, it's that circle. It's taking a piece out of that circle. It's not, not um, you know, working um, positively in the landscape. And that's what's happened here in this country, um, especially with the gold mining. Gold mining's, you know, in this country, it's, um, it's basically, we call it upside down country because all of our old people's, um, you know their story, their artifacts that they've left behind. They've basically been turned upside down. So when we go to find them, we've got to dig down in the soil to find them again. You know, and and look after mm. them. So yeah, interesting. It's the 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 coolest thing to me about cultural burning too is like 
even as you go from continent to continent, like, you know, the objective is similar, right? That mm. we burned for cultural subsistence. Yeah. Um, but like, I mean, we burn for deers, they burn for kangaroos <laughs> down yeah. there, right? <laughs> <laughs> different, bit different of a world. But Tim, um, let's hop over to you now and just kind of the same opening question there that I had for Trent. If you could just talk a bit about fire and, and what it means to your mob as well. Yeah, so like I said earlier, um, we're Kerimara people or Gunishmara people, so Kerimara of the Gunishmara nation, but essentially our landscape was created by Budgebim, which was Mount Eccles, a volcano. And that um, erupted and ultimately the lava flow went some 50 k's inland all the way to the sea and uh, all of our landscape is lava flow and lava stones have been left behind and so our ancestors um, ultimately had used those lava stones to manipulate waterways um, create stone uh, agricultural systems fish traps yield traps etc um, as well as that we utilize the stone to create um, uh, what we'd say permanent residency and ultimately, like every other tribal group here in the state of Victoria, shattered the myth of nomadic Aboriginal people because mm. um, we had such permanent residencies. We have about 1,000, I think, uh, registered stone huts. Um, so that's a bit of an idea on the landscape. But um, when it comes to fire, I <clears throat> sat down and I spoke with my uncle yesterday, um, similar to um, uh, the Jar Jawarang and Trent's mob, We've been using these since, um, you know, one of the terms I heard when I was over in the States, we've been using fire since time immemorial and ultimately putting fire in the landscape um, for many different reasons, um, which over time, as you know, when, when the world has evolved, so does our culture. I mean, ultimately, if we didn't evolve as a culture, we wouldn't be the longest living culture in the world. So mm. fire for us nowadays um, is, is a number of different things. I mean, we call it wing when you it's W double E N wing, um, cut a one wing. And it's connected to our dreaming stories, um, the way in which the fire come about, but the way we used it is, um, ultimately to firstly, to protect the community, um, uh, for safety and for obviously fuel management, but not those large scale fuel managements. Um, we, we used it for cultural purposes. We, we used it for land and resource management. When I say we, I mean when, when we use it now for these purposes. Um, mm -hmm. We use it for protection of habitat trees. We, we're focused on um, rejuvenation of traditional plants, similar to Trent and every other mob that I've spoken to about fire. In particular, for us, it's about the punyat plant, which is a, a water-based reed plant um, that we harvested and our women would weave our eel traps and our baskets. So um, fire would obviously rejuvenate that. Um, we use it to clear certain plants so that we can um, provide access to our agricultural system now um, and our fish traps and obviously we can visualise and see them and give our young people the opportunity to see these ancient systems that our ancestors had created. Um, and we also, you know, kind of focus it on from, a, oh, I guess, a weed and pest control when, when you're talking about um, the landscape prior to colonisation and I guess nowadays the conversation you're having earlier about, you know, getting kangaroo, et cetera, back, well, we need to kind of control the weeds and the pests and all these other things that ultimately uh, shift away 
the biodiversity and other things that we require on our land to to survive um mm-hmm. yeah yeah no really interesting so yeah i think you talked there about a bit about it's one of my favorite myths over here too you know that we were indigenous people were so nomadic you know that we just kind of uh you know carried it picked up our stuff and like w- went wherever the wind took us yeah. which i mean yeah is not not actual reality of, w- of what went on and that's like what here. we say that's yeah. what we say we shattered the i mean even now it's like the hunter gather uh mentality mm-hmm. and, and nomadic aboriginal people was just roam the land aimlessly and ultimately when you go to our landscapes any of our landscapes you will see that we lived here permanent on a permanent basis and we had borders and we, I mean, in the state of Victoria, we have 38 Aboriginal languages alone in the state of Victoria. Mm-hmm. And so we spoke a different language between tribal groups. And, you know, in one time I was in central Australia um, and I, we were up there for a Yipperinia festival, cultural festival, and the tribe that was living next to us or camping next to us for that day, um, both the men and women separated at night time and they, each of those groups had their own language and none of them could understand it. So that was in the same tribe. So you can understand how complex that was. Um, Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, up here too, like I'm always trying to talk about how our nations had our territories, right? So in like one of, for Cree people, we had, you know, summer and winter camps. But I mean, yeah, it's not like, you know, we would suddenly, you know, go over to Quebec or like to the east, you know, to, to go hunting and then come back. Right. Yeah. Like it was a pretty, pretty tight range. So and I think that that's too why burning is so interesting. So here in Canada, you know, our nations, even though some of them are close together, we have such different reasons for burning mm-hmm. different objectives. So I'm just wondering for you guys there, like, do you guys have similarities between your, your mobs or differences, too? Yeah, yeah. I think we. Um, I mean, look, look. Um, with my grandmother's country, Yorta country, you know, it's along. It it basically sits along the Murray River, which is um, one of the largest rivers in in Australia. Um, it borders Victoria to New South Wales, two states. Um, but all of along that that stretch of my grandmother's country is all uh, river red gum, so really large trees, really big. Um, open areas the landscape of my grandfather's country is all ironbark country um with a bit of uh whipstick mallee so it's very diverse um very rocky so i've got two different countries i suppose and run through my bloodlines that um Mm -hmm. you know when we burn we're burning different reasons so within you know 50 to 100 k's of each other we've got different um yeah techniques and different styles of burning and while we burn due to the vegetation really um, and the actual wildlife that we have there. So I know predominantly here on my grandfather's country, like emus, we haven't had emus here for over, you know, close to um, 70, 70 plus years. Um, so why, that's the one main reason why we're burning now is to try and encourage them emus to come back in to our country um, mm-hmm. because those, that vegetation has been non-existent. Um, for a long time so that's another reason people think I think when it comes to fire they have that one um, tunnel vision that it's basically for burning the fuel in the in the landscape to stop wildfire over here you know our country is very hot very dry Um, 
you know, wildfire was was you know used as a technique with our people, um, but at the same time through the year, we burnt certain areas for hunting, but we knew the wildfire was coming, um, and we acknowledged that and we, we we celebrated that through our ceremonies and and they're things that I think today we live in a different landscape, different world, um, unfortunately, and asset protection is probably the main. Um, thing that we need to look for, I suppose, in terms of risk and, and property and, and human life, um, which we know that, but it doesn't mean it takes away from our cultural um, integrity on the country and, and, and having our right to burn on our traditional lands, which is why I push that very importantly um, with, uh, you know, my department and, 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 and even, you know, with, with Tim's support as well in government, with DELP, um, we do that because it's very important to basically all we need is our, our mob and our, our, our neighbours to just drop that flame for the first time. And that's what encourages them people. I know it's happened with our mob. We've had mob that have never burnt before. We've had elders that have never burnt before because of what happened with colonisation and um, where they've grown up and they haven't had the chance to actually grow up on country. So having them out and actually having them lighting that flame and carrying that flame, it's mm-hmm. it's serving another purpose now. It's actually coming back into that, that family kinship laws and, and bringing back our ceremonies. So it's not just about um, burning the landscape. It's about healing our people as well. So. Yeah, Tim, do you have I anything think, um, you want to add there? Yeah, I think the points Trent was making was fairly similar to us a bit. I mean, but our landscapes are completely different. For we primarily are focused on a wetland, uh, on wetlands, and as I talked about the agricultural systems that we've had and we've got, um, and it's all lava flow, rocky country. So burning for us is is difficult across that terrain because one, there's a lot of cave systems underneath, and the fire can go under underground and go undetected mm-hmm. for some time. You know, so that's a bit of a tricky one to manage. Um, but I think in terms of that rights stuff that Trent was touching on, um, it's important to know that here in Australia, we have several acts that protect the rights of traditional owners or Aboriginal peoples uh, across the country. I think the first one um, we have is called the Native Title Act. Um, and ultimately, the Native Title Act come about uh, was introduced in 1993. Um, essentially, that provided... Um, uh, us with the processes to go through the federal court um, to recognise a set of rights and interests over land and waters where Aboriginal people um, and Torres Strait Islander people, because um, the Torres Strait Islander mobs are those up top Queensland on the islands, they, mm-hmm. they're the ones who actually got native title to come about because of Kuki Mabo, Eddie Mabo. Um, uh, essentially, it's ensuring that we have the rights over those land and waters um, to practising to continue our. Um, our practices um, under our traditional laws so that's native title and this is primarily since sovereignty when we're talking about sovereignty we mean the british colonialist sovereignty um, mm-hmm. so in terms of being able to get native title though it's it's um it's a it's a tough process i mean our people we have native title determination but our people took uh 15 16 years in the federal court process to be to be given out will be determined as a native recognized under native title but there are two questions that the court will ask in this space uh, and the first one is 
to understand traditional laws and customs of the groups of Indigenous people claiming native title? Are there rights and interests to, to the claim area based on their traditional connection to the area? And also, if the connection under traditional law and custom is found, the courts ask the next question, has this connection been either entirely or partially extinguished by specific government action, for example, selling the area of the claimed land? So what that means essentially, right, is our mob, Gunshmara people, have been given native title determination over uh, uh, let's, uh, 140,000 hectares of land, yeah, which yeah. in that land there's obviously freehold title, privately owned land, etc., etc., etc. There's also uh, a, a large part of it is crown land. So we have native title rights over that crown land um, but essentially it's about the traditional practices yeah so fire may, yeah. may well be the traditional practices in that space but we actively manage around 3,000 hectares of land which is our freehold title so if you think about it in that context what we've got is crown land and the protection of our rights our, our native title rights to be able to go in hunt gather um, um, pra cultural practice, um, but obviously managed by the Crown, managed by the government. And then we've got our freehold title, which not many, not all Trishlana groups have. Like, we're lucky that we have our own properties, our own freehold title to be able to, um, you know, exert our rights when and when we mm -hmm. want to on that space. And that's what we do. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, super interesting. I mean, is it's interesting to me when you talk about like the you know that you have titles so you're technically supposed to be allowed but you're still managed by by the government by those like you know kind of colonial oversight so that's on crown land in particular so okay, yep. when we have native title yeah yep. you're absolutely right so if we want to go and burn in on crown land then we need to go through the processes like trent and the mob have done um, mm -hmm. on his country, we'd need to go through the processes and working in partnership with um, the government to be able to do that. But on the 3,000 hectares of land, well, ultimately we can do that. But obviously, you've got to do it within the law as well. Um, but we have more ability to um, uh, burn in the way in which we wanted to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think the important thing for, for people that aren't of, of you know Indigenous descent or you know, are not part of this culture is to recognize that there's, there's benefits to other societies as well, right? The benefits, not just towards the indigenous culture itself. It's also towards like environmental integrity and there's all kinds of, you know, things going on there as well. So like even people that aren't a part of indigenous culture sh should be thinking about this and, and being aware that this is a good thing and should be happening on the landscape, regardless of whether or not you're tied into the cultural aspect of it or not. Yeah, and I think Trent and I have spoken at length about, and Tim too, about that emotional connection that, that mm -hmm. we have to fire. So it's like like Trent just said before too, like it's healing the land through mm -hmm. using fire, but it's also healing ourselves. So what we talked about in the first podcast, mm -hmm. you know, where it's getting people back on the land to reestablish our health, our connection, and how mm -hmm. our health is so tied to what the land is. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. Do you guys want to, I mean, I was going to say, like, I remember at that conference, Trent, you were talking about the, your frustration with it was that, you know, it was a fire management conference, but there was no real emotion. Like, it was just like, you know, people doing doing their day job, whereas for 
us as indigenous people, fire is it, it's emotional. I don't know how else to say it. Yeah. What's the thing? The culture, the deep cultural aspect, I think, is something that people don't understand including myself i'm totally it's totally outside of my realm to me fire like fire was i I did uh, wildfire firefighting for a few years before i started my degree and it was just this fun job where i got to do cool stuff right and it wasn't there wasn't a cultural deep connection with that which i find fascinating yeah yeah i think that's um so what we've i know in the last few years what we've tried to i know personally with us is trying to have people in the departments that that um, you know they, they have fire roles in in whatever management system they sit. It's trying to have them understand what our um, basically our visions for the future and visions for our people are. Um, what we've done is actually um, we've created a, a country plan our people. So um, basically, that country plan um, that's a document that we give to all government agencies to that actually shares our vision in what we want for our people and for our future generations um, moving forward into the yeah, into the future. And um, we have that dated to 2034, basically, um, so people can pick that document up and understand a little bit about us instead of us having to go out to every individual and, and sit down and talk to them and have a yarn with them. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's one of those things, actually, Amy. Yeah, it was going to that conference in Missoula, um, I was amazed. I was had my own. Um, I guess before I was going, I had my own impressions of having a lot of traditional owners over there, um, you know, up there talking, and I was really impressed with the ceremony and the introduction there um, mm. um, by them old people. What um, you know at the start of the conference, and I thought that was really important, and that was something I hadn't actually seen for the, my whole trip actually over in. Um, in the US um, it was sort of good to see that and um, brought me back home again you know and then as the conference went on I you know it wasn't until I caught up with you um, I was sort of it was lacking that after a while because it was sort of a lot of um, there was no traditional owners up there talking and I'm thinking you know this is about fire this is about the landscape this is about the people and um mm-hmm. It was good to actually, yeah, to connect with you, Amy, and to hear your story because, you know, I felt for that week it was sort of, it was just about me telling my story, but I wanted to hear that story of that country over there as well because that's important. And um, I, yeah, hopefully, um, I think Amy, you know, I definitely know what we do here, you know, we'll always support um, yourself and, and, and others over there trying to push that. Um, in any way that it's important of traditional owners getting up and, and, and having their say of country and how it's managed because for a long time here, you know, um, our people were, they were in the, in the shadows, they were in the dark, they, you know, they, they were too, too afraid to step out, um, you know, and be heard and it's something that, that you know, with this fire, um, with Jundak Wee, especially on our country, you know, it's actually brought people together that have had feuds, had issues with each other and have actually connected again and come back out on country. And and that just doesn't go for our mob. It goes for our neighbours. There are other clan groups around us um, bringing them back together and going out and, and burning country because it's a, a positive tool um, in any sense. It's not just mm-hmm. about burning country. So Totally. Yeah, well, you know. Does uh, Do you guys want to maybe speak to... Because you guys keep talking about, 
you know, what was lost and kind of healing the community and that kind of stuff. Do you want to speak for those that are uninitiated? What, what exactly was lost? Like, what do you think the community, how has it yeah. suffered from not being able to do these practices? Um, uh, I think firstly, um, I would say nothing's lost. Um, we've been disrupted. Yes. In terms of, um, being able to, uh, uh, live as a society in the way in which we want to, um, uh, as you know, as Aboriginal peoples or as Karamara or Gunishmara people, um, because in particular, when it, when it comes to fire, um, certainly, um, some knowledge was lost, but I spoke to my uncle, uh, yesterday and I said, look, what do you think? How long is it going to take us to get all that knowledge, to get all the things that we need and the, the elements that we need to be able to use fire in the way in which we want to? And he simply just said, we've already got it. We've already got the knowledge. We've already got everything we need. The one thing that is missing for us is our confidence to be able to do it. Mm, interesting, yeah. And I, I think that resonates because... Um, Obviously, when you've been uh, a group of people that have been oppressed for some 230 years, when I say oppressed, I mean um, uh, oppressor that we can't practice our culture, we can't talk our language, we can't live our way of life, then obviously that does a lot with your confidence. And so uh, every time I would talk to an uncle or an elder in particular, they're always... They're always saying, no, it's not lost. It's not lost. It's there. We just mm. got to do it. We just got to make it happen. And making it happen, it, obviously, that's the trick. Yeah, One of it, it's about getting our young people back on the landscape. It's about getting our elders back into the landscape because ultimately, um, an uncle who was an elder to me would obviously say to him, well, his elders are the ones who need to express uh, and make the decisions on the way in which the land is managed. So we need to get all that kind of cultural governance back into play as well, as well as mm, um, yeah. being able to uh, influence uh, and bring the general community along with us. I mean, the conversation having earlier was around, um, um, you know, how do we get that general community to understand? Uh, it's going to be a tough one because I think the general community uh, uh, struggled to understand fire Generally, um, so in, in what I mean by that, I mean the science behind it, the need for it, the need for plan burning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so I think, you know, we've got to come up with a good balance of scientific practice. We've got to come up with a good balance of cultural understanding and knowledge, et cetera. And, 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 and the best way to do it is have a strong partnership with one another and, uh, and try and move forward in that way. Yeah, great point. For sure. I th- yeah, I think to too about that um I, I love your point about the loss of knowledge because I think that's often what I say over here because like we've like I think we've probably in Canada lost you know 95 to 98 percent of cultural burning knowledge but what I think is really cool that you guys are doing over there too is you know the thing I always argue with indigenous knowledge is that you know we're still indigenous people and can create knowledge today and like the fact too like for for um 
most of us we've lost like because for fire it like um incorporates ceremony so usually we had like a ceremony or songs before a fire during a fire after right as in that was an important part of the culture but like Mm -hmm. We've lost um, most of those songs and stuff, but like what Trent's mob and uh, Tim, I don't know about yours as well, but it's it's to, it's to re- recreate like kind of new songs about burning and stuff that that now they they use. So I don't know if you guys want to um, elaborate a little bit on that would be great too. Well, I think the just just to intervene real quick. Yeah, no I think if it's my understanding is that a lot of indigenous communities and cultures don't have a written history the way that Western cultures do, which is something I think is good to explain to people, right? Because I think, at least from my understanding, that, I mean, you know, you can look back and you can see what Napoleon did or you can see what mm-hmm. happened, you know, and, and there's written history, right? Whereas my understanding is a lot of Indigenous communities, it was it was a vocal history, which is why it would be lost through generations of non-practice. Is that correct or am I... No, yeah. Yeah, look, at, at, I suppose for our people, I mean, um, we always look back through um, research documents and, and records, um you know, of colonies, um, you know, on our country and, and, and settlers documenting things um, because they're always good to broaden, um, I suppose, our, our knowledge of, of things that happened in the past. Um, but a lot of the stuff we carry, we carry in our hearts and there's, there are things that, um, you know, that our cultural protocols and our, our, our cultures passed down through our families, um, through our old people and, Tim touched on an important thing, I think, in that um, discussion then is around, you know, him talking with his uncle around this. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing we've got to bring back into. And, and, and he mentioned, you know, cultural governance. That's a very important thing with our people because our social structures over a long period of time, you know, like our confidence has been, been broken it's also it, it's actually affected our, our, our social, um, you know, our cultural governance and how things are managed. So, you know, we as people want to bring back our culture and, and you know and learn it and um, recreate it in a modern sense. We need mm-hmm. to look at our cultural governance, and that's a thing that that us, especially with our mob and um, you know I know Tim Tim's mob does as well. It's about that. It's about bringing our elders back and talking to our elders in what they say. And that's one thing that we do before we do our burns is we make sure our elders um, go to these areas that we're burning and they they talk about these areas. And whether they've got knowledge over that area or not, mm-hmm. we still ask their permission. Um, and they're, they're things I think today in a modern sense, we don't do that. We don't do that with our families. We don't go and talk to our old people enough. Um you know, brothers and sisters and, and, and go, look, this is what we're going to do and, and sit down and have a yarn about it. We just yeah. can't do it, you know, and, and that's that's it. Exactly. It's, when I talk about loss, I say, like, I, yes, things have been lost. I mean, 38 languages in, in, a, in the state of Victoria, uh, I think there's only two that can be fluently spoken nowadays. So, yes, mm. things have been lost. But I guess the, the, the kind of angle I was coming out with that is that, as Aboriginal people, it's still there inside you, you know. And so just touching again on Trent's point, what we've been able to do, and, and Matt, you asked the right question, yes, our knowledge and our systems and our traditions were all passed down um, orally, so we're oral people. We would, A lot of our knowledge was passed down through ceremony, song and dance and art, etc. Um, but 
when uh, we were colonised, it, I mean, fortunately, and I say this in inverted commas, was that uh, the explorers, the so-called explorers, had documented every day. And so mm -hmm. there's a lot of literature out there that we can draw on um, and combine with the feeling, but also the spiritual um, and the essence of just being an Aboriginal person in the 21st century. So we gather a lot of that knowledge um, and we go back to country and um, we will create, recreate uh, what is necessary and what is real and what is meaningful for us as Aboriginal peoples here in the 21st century. And obviously it's based on feeling for us. And if it feels right, both within your heart and within your spirit, then we continue that. And you know when it doesn't feel right because ultimately the answers are going to come down and say something to you. Um, and that could be in, in, the, in the shape of a, of a tiger snake <laughs> or, or it could be in the shape of a big thunderstorm. You don't know, but you just got to kind of be ready and, and connected into that so that, that those are the messages that are coming from you. But, yeah, we have to do it. We have to take ownership. Um, and that's the kind of angle I was talking on when I was thinking mm -hmm. about nothing's been lost because it's still as Aboriginal people. Uh, it's still there and just mm. if, you, if you don't mind one of the things one of the debates I had with an archaeologist um, some time ago was around this mob um, had gone and scarred a tree and they made a deadly canoe out of it uh, and deadly for us is good in Aboriginal mm. sleep. <laughs> <laughs> not a canoe that sunk <laughs> they, made, they, made a, they made a good canoe out of it and ultimately what they yeah. did is scar that tree and I said to the archaeologist okay so how are you going to protect that tree how are you going to look after it from a uh, Aboriginal cultural heritage protection point of view and I said well we're not going to protect that tree and I said why not and I said well that's contemporary and I said that's not contemporary that's culture I said Mm -hmm. our, our culture doesn't remain static and we evolve. I mean, as the world have, has evolved, so too have we. So if any tool that we've got available, anything that we've got available to utilize and practice our culture, and that is exactly the same in the way in which we did it since prior to colonization. Yeah, g great point. I, we've seen over here, like even we're having some pipeline hearings. I don't know if you've heard about that, but yeah. we won't get into it. But there's basically some indigenous nations standing up to it. But one thing that I recently heard in one of the proceedings was that they told an elder that his knowledge that he was sharing wasn't old enough, so it didn't qualify as like traditional ecological knowledge. Who so said that? This at, at the pipeline hearing, one like of the, the lawyers. Like yeah, the lawyers, so like a non-traditional, non yeah, a non-indigenous person. person. Yeah, said like <laughs> you know you're not talking back far enough, so that doesn't apply here. Whereas <laughs> I think that's the important thing is that you know our we're still here, and because we're here, our knowledge is here too. And so, Tim, I just wanted to mention the other thing you you were talking about was confidence in, in burning. So the one thing I'm finding in Canada, like when I go and speak to the elders and some of the um, uh, knowledge holders, you know, there is like a almost a, a fear of kind of going back on the land and burning because I think once you like have it hammered into your brain enough, you know, that if you start a fire like in Canada, you're going to get like jailed or fined or, mm -hmm. or, or something, you know, and then suddenly now we've got the agencies, you know, and people like me saying, oh, it's good to burn now. Yeah. Like, you know, how you kind of get over that dichotomy that we've forced yeah. into our people that, that their knowledge wasn't valid. Um, and now yeah. you've probably seen all these articles that are coming out now 
from you know non-indigenous researchers like we need to put mosaics back on the landscape and all this and it's like we've been trying to tell you guys that for like you know basically That's since true. you colonized us yeah. <laughs> well yeah, western society is only just catching up like our knowledge the scientific western scientific knowledge yeah. is only just catching up now is fascinating mm-hmm. but there's still uh there's still a hold back from mm-hmm. you know from that perspective to just to trust in indigenous knowledge which is which is so frustrating right it doesn't make any sense it's interesting because when i when i think about it if if you think about it in in this context right our practices were so scientifically astute it's it's actually uncomprehensible to be honest our systems were so complex that i think uh, the smartest academic scholar will be scratching their head about how the hell we did such things um, right, but it's. I think for me, you know, it's interesting because uh, what we did was care for the land with the with the most minimal impact possible. Because mm-hmm. the land, the earth was our mother. We had to care and protect it, her, him, you know, and. Mm-hmm. It had to be done in a way that if we did if we did harm the earth and the land, ultimately that meant that we would be tribally punished. You know what I mean? We would breach our tribal um, protocols and, and laws. Mm-hmm. And so it 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 astounds me that um, how did we manage land? How did we manage fire in particular? Or how do we utilize these things? Um, or how didn't we? rather because um it's clear to me we've been here for sixty thousand plus years and you had to have some sort of scientific knowledge and understanding of how to rejuvenate and care for biodiversity etc 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 um so yeah i find it interesting that one yeah and otherwise you know the our ancestors wouldn't have lived right yeah like if yeah (laughs) the circumstances of screwing up uh you know, a burn was our the, death. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Oh, now we don't have any food within like a livable radius, and we're all going to die. So it's it's yeah, yeah. I think we talked about this on in the introductory podcast where I kind of had a aha moment where thinking about like the similarities between Western scientific knowledge and traditional indigenous knowledge, and how real really, even though like like the the indigenous knowledge has gone through the scientific process in its own way, right? I mean, the the idea of trying something scientifically and then trying it again and, and you, you keep challenging that idea until it either, you know, fails the hypothesis or, 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 or succeeds in the hypothesis, right? Mm-hmm. And indigenous people did that intuitively because if you screwed up, it didn't make it through to the next turn, right? So mm-hmm. it, it, it was really its own scientific process in its own. It just wasn't written down and there wasn't, you know what I mean? It wasn't the official methodology, it, yeah. but it was, but it was done over generations and generations in its own way. Cause if it didn't work, it wasn't going to keep going. So obviously there was science going on. Yeah. It just isn't science the way that Western culture recognizes it. Yeah. And I think that one of the coolest things too, about, you know, hanging out with Trent and Tim was for me as well, just, you know, being able to speak about our cultures and just how similar they are. Like, um, even though, you know, we're from different continents and our ancestors were, you know, there's those, 
things about the the earth is your mother, right? Like that mm-hmm. is just universal amongst indigenous people and that mm-hmm. you manage the land a, as a steward of, of the land. That's just, again, something that, that you see worldwide. That's, yeah. that's really cool. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think fire isn't a, um, I suppose, hasn't been treated with enough respect. Um, you know, fire, obviously, you know, with our people, it's, it's, it's a tool, it's, um, but it's also um, something that provides us life, you know, and, and I think fire for so many uh, long period of time has been used as a threat um, mm. or it's been, it's been scared to be used or, um, but, you know, our people hold fire as sacred, you know, it's sacred with us and, and it's, um, you know, like I went to a, um, up to Queensland a couple of years ago and, you know, I burnt with mob up there and, um, you know, like they had, you know, grass that was taller than, than myself and, you know, we're walking through those areas that, you know, little kids had um, lighting matches, you know, you know, and their, their, their parents, their dads is going, yeah, go on, go over the light there. Um, and I, I looked and, you know, where we are down here in Victoria is very regulated in terms of fire management in some areas. And, um, you know, I'm thinking, you know, that that's it right there. It's having that chance to be out there doing that with your family and practising that, and that's holding that flame inside your heart. Um, that's something with our people, you know. We're always willing with, um, you know, people, biodiversity, scientists, we'll always take them out on country and show them the, you know, the truth that's there because they won't get it inside of an office or inside of a lecture theatre. Um, mm-hmm. as much as you can put up as a million um, PowerPoints to try and get your point across. The only way we get our point across mm-hmm. is taking people out on country and showing what, you know, what's right there, you know, on the landscape and showing our old people's footprints, you know. That's that's the only way it sort of gets across that I find um, here. But what I mm-hmm. try and do is there's the people that have the Western science, the Western, I suppose, knowledge is to try and blend almost the two as well because mm-hmm. um, we as a people, we, you know, we want to share this country. We we own, we always say we don't own it, but we look after it. We're, we're managers, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, our, our Mother Earth owns this country and we manage it. We look after it. We're just custodian. And um, we, we're certainly getting know. there. Uh, yeah, up, yeah, I that's it, brother. Yeah. We're in space. And, and I'll say that Janda... Well, Jaja, in particular, mm. your mob have been leading mm. um, the state when it comes to having a partnership with the with the government to, mm. to do that. You know, and I, when yeah. I think about my uncle, um, he said to me, um, uh, "Yeah, we want we want to burn, we want to burn, and we want to partner with the with the government and to be able to do it, um, and the, the 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 right authorities to be able to do it." Um, but he said it's taken some time. It's taken a few years to just get to a level of understanding between both groups. Mm-hmm. In particular, if um, mm-hmm. one, I think there was one opportunity where we put fire on the landscape, um, and and the, um, the agencies come out with every piece of machinery necessary to suppress <laughs> the fire if it was needed. <laughs> yeah. And then um, uh, the mob were like, "Well." what's going on here? We're just starting a little cool burn fire, you know? Mm. Um, so he said it took some time to get to a point where now the agencies only bring a couple of um, 
slip on, yeah. which, which Trent will be able to explain more, yeah. which means, okay, we're here, we're part of this process now. We don't need all this machinery, but we kind of come to a level of understanding that this is what we need to kind of move forward at this point. Yeah. And I think yeah. one other point I would say is we've just gone through a state government election um, and we had a government return and ultimately one of their commitments was to uh, uh, achieve treaty with the Victorian Aboriginal community. Uh, as well as that, they're very much committed to Aboriginal self-determination. So we're in this new new paradigm when it comes to relationship between government agencies and Aboriginal communities. Um, and that will mean ultimately over time, if we get it right, that the mob, uh, Aboriginal peoples, will be able to be making key decisions about the way in which countries manage, etc. Um, so we're in a good space. I think we're going to be able to um, take some really good steps forward when it comes to meaningfully partnering and generally engaging both Aboriginal peoples and state government. Mm, yeah, yeah, so can, exactly. can I ask you a, a question on that? So, you know, you guys in Australia with your cultural burning, to me, are, are world leading. So like when I, you know, there's some researchers and other things who are doing great work too, but in terms of actually, you know, getting fire back and having your cultural burn workshops and stuff, like you guys in Australia are the ones who are actually doing things. So I'm just wondering, what do you have um, any thoughts about, you know, why it's Australia that's that's leading this way? Is it because of that relationship between your government and, and your mobs? Or um, is it just like the, the strength and, and maybe determination yeah. of you guys to get fire back on the ground? I think from it, um, Amy, I suppose, like Tim touched on um, his mobs, um, you know, native title determination. But I think with us, with Jodorung, here in central Victoria, we um, so back in two thousand and thirteen, we we actually entered into a a recognition settlement agreement with the state government. So that's mm-hmm. um, another form of I suppose um, separate to native title, but it's basically a, a process that um, is a little bit less intrusive into agreeing. So it's more of a settlement. It's more of an agreement. Um, it's an so out of we, court settlement. Exactly, that's right. Out of court, so we we settled. It took us over ten years to to work through that process, though it was a long long process. Um, but what we've come out of that is that we've got a we call it an RSA, a recognition settlement agreement area. Basically, that states us as the first peoples of this area of this country um, in this boundary um, that we work within, and we acknowledge it's not our traditional boundary, but it's our boundary that we have agreed upon with our neighbours. With the other clan groups, from that that gives us a uh, basically a, a settlement determination that that the state creates us as partners. We're not another stakeholder group. We're actually partners with the state government, mm-hmm. and that puts a bit of ownership on the state government to um, step up to the plate, basically, and and support us as first peoples um, mm-hmm. in basically all of our self determination and 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 rights as as people on this country. From that, I think what's happened is, is um, so in our fire department in our area, so in um, Loddon Mallee with, with DELP, with Forest Fire Management, um, so Scott Falconer that was with me um, over there um, that we met, Amy, um, he, mm-hmm. I think, was crucial in us bringing back Dundak Wee on our country um, because now he's a non-Aboriginal person, but 
he's an assistant chief fire officer in, in, in our region for DELP and um, his role is really crucial in terms of fire management and land management. And he actually, I think, out of his role, put himself uh, probably in the firing line, but he actually set the way forward in terms of supporting us to do fire on our country. And he's, he's a fellow I've got a lot of respect for um, because he actually talks the talk, you know. We get a lot of government agencies that come in or people in positions that, you know, want to support us and, they you know, they see the good in things but they can't follow through for whatever reason. Um, Scott's different to that and Scott actually followed through and he, and, he, and he continues to do so. And we supported him as Jajarung people because we knew, you know, um, he spoke the truth and that he would bat for us basically uh, to get us out on, on country burning again. And that's how it's, I suppose, started the process with um, around this because beforehand it was just a conversation that we were having trying to get out and burn. And Scott said, well, yeah, there's no reason we can't. We'll implement it um, in normal process and have you guys burning. Um, mm-hmm. And... and he, you know, obviously went. We went over to the states um, with him because he's doing the Winston uh, Churchill Fellowship, um, you know, and he's created a report that um, basically myself and, and Tim are in as well, um, sharing his you know, his uh, learnings on that journey. And I think there that's crucial because that's actually having people in in a, in an agency in a high role manager role that can make influence. Um, in government, that's what needs to happen to support Aboriginal people, um, mm-hmm. to share our vision and to push our vision, basically, because I know for Jadarung, we can't do it all ourselves. We don't have the capacity in all of our mob. We need other government agencies to take, as I said, our country plan and understand our country plan and talk the talk with us, not for us. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. gets confused. People want to talk for us, not with us. And, um, you know, Scott's really, um, you know, he, he's actually, he's really impressed our mob and, and our elders and, you know, we call him a brother because, um, you know, what he's done and what he's done in his heart and um, that's probably for us is how it's how it's moved forward and progressed, yeah. I guess, honestly. Yeah, and yeah, I think just... Scott would certainly, I mean, uh, Scott has this line and it said, he says, you got to do the right thing before you get everything right. <laughs> and he doesn't he doesn't say that flippantly either. He he mm. he genuinely means it. Mm. Um, and he know ultimately he kind of I think what Trent was saying is absolutely right. If you got somebody who's in a system who knows it, who knows how to kind of uh, talk the right language and and drive the right message in the system, uh, that mm-hmm. that's critically important. Um, and obviously, you know. And it's needed. And Trent uh, Scott mm-hmm. certainly is one of the champions that, I mean, I've come to know Scott over the, the last year or so just as a colleague, but now a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, I met Scott and um, even caught up with Trent probably for one of the first times on mm-hmm. Jar Jar <laughs> Country when it, yeah, come, yeah. when it come to celebrating Jandak Wee with the minister. That was kind of one of the first mm-hmm. times I caught up with him there. And I kind of like what was going on there, so we're going to make this happen. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but what 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 the work from I think what the work that um, 
that's been driven out of um, Trent's country and with Scott at the helm there, um, we've gone ahead as a department and worked with traditional owners to build what we call a traditional owner cultural burning strategy. And we're not able to talk about the specifics of it because ultimately it's about cultural knowledge and practice and intellectual property. But we've given um, uh, the ability for traditional owners across the state to build and write this strategy. And ultimately the strategy will then be launched by um, the department. And in my mind, the strategy is about enabling uh, traditional owner groups and the, the the agencies to be able to work with one another um, and talk with each other, not talk for us, as Trent was saying, to be able to put fire into landscape in the way in which each group respectively wants to be able to do it. And mm -hmm. so we're not far from launching that, um, that strategy, um, which is going to be good. Yeah, but, it's um, awesome. <laughs> and obviously it'll enable and, and support what's going on down on trans country, but also it'll be able to get some of those mobs who are um, wanting to burn on country to start the process as well. Yeah, yeah. I think when, one of the... when you talk just quickly, when you talk about seeing okay. Australia as, as a leader um, in this space, uh, I think Trent really touched on it about native title and traditional settlement. Um, but in, that's primarily in the context of Victoria. You've also got, you know, areas up in, in the Kimberley, which is Western Australia. You've got areas up in Kakadu and um, uh, in Arnhem Land, which they are, mm -hmm. are kind of like uh, Aboriginal controlled lands, you know. So ultimately, in those spaces, fire is going to be put in the landscape, doesn't matter what, because it's practically Aboriginal controlled land, Aboriginal uh, to a degree governed lands. Mm -hmm. Sweet, yeah. I mean, the one thing as an outsider looking in at you guys, I think, you know, and shout out to Scott too. Like for mm -hmm. me with Scott, it's like what I see sometimes with agencies is they want to kind of take that, the the knowledge that, that, that we have and kind of eliminate us from the equation. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like more of a power thing, right? Where mm -hmm. they're the experts in burning. But what I found with Scott... Experts in quotations. Experts, yeah. yeah. Well, what I found <laughs> with, with Scott is that, you know, he really values you guys and he's not not interested in that power grab in, in a way you mm. know so he's mm. kind of happy to take a back seat which i think you know i would encourage other managers you know that want to work with indigenous people as well like you said to act as as supports um mm. for that instead of you know trying to control the whole situation mm. yeah i had one yeah. final question for either one of you or both yeah. of you um and it was since well i guess it would be for trent actually in the last three years since you guys have actually brought burning back onto the landscape, what has that done to restore the community? Oh, look, um, you know, touching on that, I think in terms of building a capacity with our community, Jodurung people, we have a lot of people that don't live on country. Um, they might live an hour, two away, three away. Um, they might live in Melbourne, in, in you know, capital city in Victoria here. Um, but what it's actually done is, is build up our capacity. So we've had, just recently, we've had um, uh, need to note too that all of our, our people burning, we actually get them to go through the, um, the general firefighter training. So it gives them opportunity that they can actually step into um, a project firefighter role through the season as a seasonal firefighter and, and take on a role in that area. Um 
so we've um, been able to create more capacity with our young people, uh, women and men, to to do those roles and step up. Um, but what it's actually done is actually we've been able to have you know, elders out on country again that, that have stepped foot back, I suppose, on country for the first time. Um, that's that's something actually I never actually envisioned when when I actually started to wanting to do cultural burning. Um, I hadn't I never had it in my mind, but it's actually happened. And the fact is, when you know we're having meetings about um, you know burning and what we're going to do and where we want to burn, we're actually asking the family groups. So we have Jajong has eighteen different family groups um, that have. Um, you know, different areas of country that, that they connect to through their clan areas. And what we do when we first started, you know, we were having meetings and we had five to ten people turn up. Now we're getting meetings of 50 to 60 people to turn up with elders, young kids, um, you awesome. know, and it's that's that's actually seeing it there. That's, that's what the end game is because people are seeing the passion in what we're doing. Um, we're giving people the right to, to come out with us and, and, and burn on country. Um, and it, it's about that whole experience, you know. Like we do, I know in my, my main role is, um, you know, I have a firefighting role and, you know, we do a planned burn. Now, Tim touched on it before around um, vehicle, you know, equipment we use. And we use, it's called a, a, a slip-on unit and it's basically a, a water tank um, on the back of a, a Toyota Land Cruiser that we use, um, you know, to go to wildfires, to um, plan burns, whatever, um, and we have our, our fire tankers. Now, when we do our, our plan burns, we might have 20 to 30 slip-on units driving up and down the track and around a burn um, all day and tankers, and there might be 30 staff on, on drip torches lighting the bush up. But when we do our plan burns, we might have one slip-on unit there Maybe a tanker, if if it's depending on the weather, um, that's coming in later in the day. But you know, we'll have 30, 30 odd people standing around, um, you know, talking and yarning and sitting around a fire at the start of the day. Um, you know, people are more relaxed. They're more comfortable. Mm. We're burning in a in a cooler environment. We're burning when the weather's right. We're burning in a more positive way. Um, not to say that our cultural burning needs to take away from the planned burning, the prescribed burning. There's still a need for both. They can both gel together and work together as well, which is we always, um, I try and push that, that people understand that we need both. But it just creates more of a, a positive and safer environment for our people. And they're the impacts I've seen um, in our people. They're standing up and they're taking on fire rolls. They're, they're bringing me and they're going, look, I want to apply for this job. I'm going, yeah, I'll support you. I'll, I'll be a referee for you. And, you know, they're getting a role and they're seeing that what's happening there, they're actually providing for their family. They're, they're not on benefits. They're actually turning up to work five days a week. They're getting skills. They're, getting, they're stepping up in, their, in their, um, their roles and actually being leaders. And, and that's a positive effect because it, it's positive in the younger kids coming up, seeing what their parents or their aunties and uncles are doing. And that's, for me, that's the end game. That's what it is. That's awesome. Tim, do you have anything that you want to add? Um, sorry, I just got distracted because Willan, <laughs> the, the yellowtail black cockatoo, just sung out 
the background there, which is our tribe. Oh, wow. Mm. I was going to say it's a sign, it's your ancestors. <laughs> That's it. Um, so the question was around uh, um, what it done for our mob. I mean, ultimately, similar to what Trent is saying, it's about um, um, getting our – I mean, fire is the tool, yeah, to get our mob back to country and get our mob uh, caring for the country and um, implementing our cultural practices. Um, fire, you know, will do a lot of things for our mob. Um, if, if you're not aware, um, we actually – now, in terms of what we call our Budgebim cultural landscape, we've got an application in with UNESCO World Heritage um, to have that landscape um, put onto that register. Um, nice. And in mm-hmm. 2019, we hopefully will get good news that it will be put on the register. And um, as far as I understand it, um, it will be um, one of the it'll be on the register for its cultural values only. So for us, um, fire has a role to play in that because um, some time ago, it was about a few years ago, we had a wildfire, hot wildfire go through the landscape. Um, and what that did uh, after we were able to go into areas of which were too too um, too much vegetation because we weren't able to get in there. So when the fire went through there, we could access it. And we were then able to uncover or find a new stone hut, which was around four by four meters. Huh. And we never knew this hut was there until the fire had gone through. Wow. And all of our stone huts that we had documented and registered, uh, they were only about, you know, one, one and a half meters in size and width. And so for us, that hut obviously has some important cultural significance. Um, but ultimately, with the unearthing of that um, cultural site um, through fire, and that's primarily what we want to use fire for now, is to put it into the landscape to be able to find more cultural sites that we just didn't know were there. And we obviously mm-hmm. would be using that stone hut and all those other things in the landscape to put into the application of UNESCO's, etc. So, I mean... For me, that's the kind of add-on to what Trent was saying. It has much larger benefits in terms of, one, our communities back in the landscape, being healthy, being vibrant, um, implementing their cultural practices. But then it's also about the world knowing who we are as Kiramara people on the Kiramara Nation. Yeah, it's awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's perfect, guys. I want to thank you very much Mm. for coming on and speaking Mm. to us about all this. I definitely, uh, yeah, opened my eyes a lot. Yeah. yeah, hi, hi, no worries, man. as we say yeah. over here. <laughs> you guys are the best. Sorry, we could get Trent in from the bush. That's it, brother. Sorry about that. <laughs> Thanks a lot for listening, guys. I know Amy and I both really enjoy these conversations. They're always incredible. Thanks so much to Trent and Tim for coming on. really appreciate you guys taking the time to do this. This podcast was produced by me, Matthew Kristoff, and I have an environmental sciences podcast called Your Forest, And if you like Good Fire, you'll definitely like Your Forest. Please check it out on Apple, Google, Spotify, and Stitcher. And uh, I hope you guys like it. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot for listening. Take it easy.